0: Those are the seriousness and the profound nature, really, of Scripture. You know, we're so used to it here. Uh, We take for granted our freedoms, but uh, we have this Word because it was preserved for us not only by the sovereign work of the Spirit, but by the the sacrifices of His people uh, throughout the ages. And so we, we treat His Word as precious. We ask Him to cause us to grow in our awe and wonder of Him communicating to us from heaven and through His written Word. So we have that privilege now. So let's ask him to prepare our hearts to hear him speak to us through 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. So I'll give you a few moments to pray silently, and then I'll open this up in a word of prayer. Father, we do ask that your words, long written down for us, preserved and kept, doing and performing all that you intended to do, accomplishing all of your good purposes, not only in your prophetic word, but in your saving and in your sanctifying word. Holy Spirit, you who gave us the word, all scripture is God-breathed, are using that word to bring forth life and maturity and wisdom to protect us and to keep us until We are brought safely to our final destination, which is to leave this present world, or be taken out of it, and to be with Christ, our Savior, in the presence of the Father, filled by you forever, and ultimately in resurrected bodies on a new heaven and a new earth. Help us to remember that as our end. Nothing here is our end, it's but temporary, but our end is to be with Christ, resurrected in a new heavens and a new earth forever. And so encourage us, and give us perspective and wisdom, and use this passage this morning uh, to that end. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So open up, open up your Bibles to First Peter chapter 4, verse 9. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9. And when we came to this section, I wasn't originally planning on taking each of these separately, but as usually happens, you, you come and you start looking at something a bit more closely, and you realize there, there really is much more there than meets the eye. So we... We could cover it quickly, but each one of these seems worthwhile on its own to look at by itself. And so it is this morning with verse 9 and the issue of hospitality, hospitality as a fruit of Christian love, which is the title in your bulletin, hospitality as a fruit of Christian love. Commenting on this passage, one said this in, in introductory comments. Peter's mind is dominated in this section by the conviction that the end of all things is near. It is of the greatest interest and significance to note that he does not use that conviction to urge people to withdraw from the world and to enter into a kind of private campaign to save their own souls. He uses it to urge them to go into the world and to serve others. As Peter sees it, we will be happy if in the end, if the end finds us not living a life of solitude, but out in the world serving other people. And that's a good introduction for this reason, because the, the gospel calls us by its very call and by its very shape and form and by its very imperatives... To not be isolated, to not have an individualistic mindset to our salvation, which is so prevalent for us in America. It's me saved, my personal relationship, my personal life with Jesus, which is indeed part of it. But we were saved into community, as has been said many times. We were saved not to be inverted, but to be looking outside of ourselves. To be looking out at others in the world, at our neighbors, and particularly within the church as the field for our area of service and how we serve others as we have been served by Christ. And here particularly, Peter emphasizes the, that attitude uh, under the category of hospitality. of hospitality, And the main idea is this, that Christian love, call, love calls us to open our homes and our lives to one another as expressions of our participation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the big idea. That's the main, main point here and even really of all of Scripture and of the New Testament particularly, is to call us to open our homes and our lives to one another as expressions of our faith in Christ. Well, let's consider that a little more closely. But first, let me read this section, verse 7 through 11, in First Peter chapter 4. He says, "...the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer." Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So a simple statement in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint, but a whole world of instruction to us in terms of how we are to relate to one another and serve one another as the community of God's people, as the body of Christ. So we'll look at this in four simple points. First, just to look at hospitality in the broadest possible sense of how it was viewed in the ancient world hospitality as it was in ancient Israel, hospitality as it is to be in the church, and then some encouragements to hospitality. So those are kind of the four uh, big points that we're going to look at. First, let's consider the term. What does it mean when he says here to be hospitable to one another, to be hospitable to one another? It's actually a compound word. You might be familiar with this. It has a term for love, not agape, but another term, philos, for love, which has the idea of love of friends, love of family, love of acquaintance. It has an emotional aspect to it, has a relational aspect to it. And it's attached to a word for strangers. And so the idea really is love of strangers, love of strangers or love for strangers. And it's really a sweet word in that sense. It has, it's a word even sometimes to use of the father's love for the son. It has even that sort of divine characteristic to it. But here it is translated, and rightly so, and is understood under that big category of hospitality, of hospitality, or to show hospitality. And it is the idea in hospitality of inviting people into your lives, particularly and more specifically into our homes, but it has a broader sense of inviting them into our lives as a means of acceptance and serving Now, while this is unique to the Christian church, and the command here indeed is to the church, the idea of hospitality is not unique to Christianity. And so just under the first point, I want to note briefly, hospitality in the ancient world. Hospitality was, is universally recognized, whether somebody is a believer or not a believer, as a virtue, as something that is good, as a virtuous activity, as something that is admirable about a person, if they are hospitable with their lives and with their homes. For the Greeks, one noted, hospitality was a decisive mark of culture. It was a decisive mark of culture. The ancient Greek poet Homer says that it is hospitality that marks off civilization from all the barbarians and all of the uncivilized nations of the world. The fear of God, hospitality, and civilization, it was said, are coextensive. Coextensive. So the idea of being a hospitable people is what marks them out as a cultured people, as a people that are civilized at least in that mindset. Now, interestingly, the idea of hospitality took on several forms, and I'm just going to mention this in the ancient world. Now, there are more forms than this, but these are general categories at which it's often discussed. One, there was public hospitality, and that simply refers to the kind of hospitality that went on in diplomacy. It's the kind of hospitality that happened between nations. When one, they had delegates, when they had one visitor from one nation would visit another, he was welcomed. He was treated as a friend. He was treated as one to be served. It was one that showed friendly relationships between peoples and between governments. There was a temple hospitality, and it was a kind of hospitality that welcomed pilgrimages of particular religions. And so oftentimes you would find inns and hostels and places to stay that were near temples. And people would come and travel from a far land to go to that temple, and then they were welcomed by that religious sect. uh, And they were cared for, and they were put up for the night, and they were fed, and they were so forth as they fulfilled their religious duty. There was a kind of commercial hospitality which enabled travelers to obtain food and lodging. They would go long distances. They would travel to different lands. And there was, of course, a commercial industry of inns and other things in which people could pay to stay for the night. And then there was private hospitality. And it was esteemed and encouraged throughout the ancient world as the highest form of hospitality, a moral virtue. We'll come back to that. And then there was something called, here's a fancy word for you, it's mine, I'm borrowing this from some reading, theoxenic, hospitality, and xenic is the word actually for stranger, and theo is of course for God. So it refers to this, in which humans were said to provide hospitality to God's heroes and various semi-divine guests. So the the idea was that in pagan religions somebody could come and this person could be like a god or sent by a god or so on and so forth. And you could show hospitality then to that deity by welcoming them into your home. Within the Roman Empire, which was in full force here at the writing of Peter, there was the advancement of a road system. And so travel in the Roman Empire, and you can see God's preparation for this for the gospel, was much easier than it had been in generations and centuries before. So Romans Road is a whole area of study in how people traveled around and had access that was opened up in ways that it never was before. There was also within the Roman Empire, you may have heard of, the Pax Romana. In other words, there was an empire-wide peace, which in general terms made travel much safer and much more accessible to people. And as that kind of development historically came about, as was mentioned in commercial hospitality, inns and other places of stay overnight uh, were opened up. However, as you probably heard, uh, those inns and places like that while they were a place for people to stay generally weren't the kind of places you wanted to stay if you travel much along the road you see certain hotels you think oh that's not too bad I could stay there for a night and then you might travel by other places and you think "Uh, I think I'll sleep in my car you know I don't necessarily want to want to go there Uh, And so it was then that there were places to stay, but very often those were places that were little more than brothels or they were dangerous. They were a place where it would be more easily robbed, etc. They they weren't comfortable and safe places that the average traveler would want to stay. And so the idea of private hospitality, of being welcomed into people's homes, was very significant and very welcome uh, within the ancient world. And significant as a hospitality was so great that it often formed the basis of family alliances. So there could be hospitality shown at one point, and that act of hospitality would actually reverberate throughout generations, wherein, out of gratitude for that, there was an open and acceptance of one family to the next, so that they would travel, and in a generation down the road, there would be this kind of family connection where their home would be naturally opened uh, to someone. Someone described that in this way, both Greeks and Roman travelers frequently carried tokens of hospitality. That is just some kind of identification that served to identify them to former hosts and their descendants as guest friends entitled to hospitality. So in other words, it would be like uh, some alliance was formed in the past. And therefore, as I travel and I knew I'm going to go through an area where one of those alliances are, I have some token of identification that marks me as this family that says, hey, my great, great grandfather showed you hospitality. Here's my token of belonging to him. And now you show me you welcome me into your home. And so that's kind of how it worked. And so it was significant family alliances. There's even examples of that at the public level as well uh, between nations. In other cases, letters of introduction were carried by some travelers so that they would be welcome into other people's homes. And so if you're traveling to a foreign land and you didn't know people there, but you know, hey, my friend Johnny over here, he knows some people over there. They owe him uh, this grace or this uh, mercy of hospitality. They take a letter of introduction, go into the home, present it. I'm so-and-so's friend and so forth. The idea of all of that, however, is simply to say this. Hospitality was a significant part of community and and relationship and importance uh, within the ancient world. It's not relegated simply to uh, the church. But hospitality takes on a different form and motivation within the people of God. And so here's just the second point. This is just by way of context. That hospitality within God's covenant people. Hospitality was not only a general part of culture, it's a general part of humanity. Hospitality was particularly important within the covenant people of God. And we see lots of examples of that uh, in the Old Testament. When a traveler came into a city, you often read about how they went into the square. You read that? They go into the square and they waited and somebody would say, Hey, don't wait out here in the square, particularly once it gets to be evening. Come into our home and we'll care for you. So, for example, you see the angels when they went to visit Lot in Genesis 19. They were in the square. Lot saw them out there by themselves, knew that wasn't a safe place, and he invited them into their home and to the protection and the care of his home. We see that when the angels visited Abraham. We see that in a variety of situations. In other words, it was expected that if you were traveling in ancient Israel and you went from one city to the next city, you'd simply show up. Uh, You could simply show up in the the public square there, and eventually somebody, as a matter of uh, culture and courtesy and really cultural mandate, would invite you into their home, and they would give you lodging and take care of you uh, for the night. So as you read your Old Testament, you see examples of that. And you see that was alive and well, even in the time of the Gospels, even in the time of Jesus. He gave the parable, if you have a guest come to you in the middle of the night in Luke chapter 11 and you're not prepared for them and you have no bread to set before them that it was imperative that you somehow meet the need of this guest uh, who showed up unawares and so Jesus says this in the parable in Luke chapter 5 that you know suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him friend lend me three loaves a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him and then he goes on and says that eventually this friend gives him what he needs. But the idea there is that's the, the mentality of hospitality that existed among uh, the people of God. In Job 31, he cites his hospitality, his generosity to others, to strangers, as a mark of his piety, as a mark of his righteousness. Righteousness. He said in Job thirty one thirty two, the alien has not lodged outside for I have opened my doors to the traveler. I've opened my doors to the traveler. And basically Job is saying, I've never unrighteously rejected somebody who needed the shelter of my home. I willingly brought them in. I willingly cared for them. I willingly gave my home as a refuge and a place to stay for them. So important was it that even among rabbinical teaching, hospitality was said to be one of the most meritorious works with profit here and in the world to come. In fact, to not show hospitality, to not take someone into your home and to not care for them in the ancient world, and particularly within the Israelite culture, marked the immoral character of a people It marked them off as being wicked, as being a wicked and disobedient uh, city. So he says uh, in Judges 19, for one example, they turned aside there some travelers in order to enter and lodge in Gebeah. And when they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And that was to them then a mark that this city was one in rebellion to God. The city was one in which there was not righteousness, but unrighteousness. And which ultimately meant, too, that it was not a safe place to stay. But the motive and the mandate of hospitality within Israel was their identity as the covenant people of God. Their hospitality was to flow out of their understanding of redemption. Their understanding of redemption. Their hospitality to each other and even to strangers going through their land was a reflection of their own condition of being strangers and aliens in a former land, out of which God rescued them. Let me read to you just one passage. And this is going to connect us with the idea of First Peter. He says this in Leviticus Chapter 19, verse 33. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You were strangers. You were aliens. You had no one to care for you, and yet I delivered you. I rescued you. I brought you into my household. Therefore, you, as an expression of what you have received, are to treat others, strangers in your land, in the same way. It is to be a reflection of the covenant. It is to be a reflection of the redemption which you have received. One noted this. Proper treatment of the stranger, then, was a just and grateful act in response to god's loving provision it revealed the p- character of god's people so god's people then were to be marked off as a redeemed people and a mark off and what marked the character of the redeemed people was hospitality was an openness to care for travelers and for strangers and we won't get into this part there was another footnote to that as a religious community as the covenant people of god in which Nations which God marked out as having a corrupting influence. Were not to be accepted of course. And they were in fact to be destroyed. But overall outside of that. The idea among Israel. Even codified in their own law. Was that they were to be a people known. For their hospitality. For their hospitality. And it flowed again out of a distinct motivation. Of them being the covenant of God. Being within the covenant of God. Now. Now. As time went on, and especially as we see in the Gospels, this became very narrow-minded. And so the Jews, of course, had nothing to do with Gentiles. They had nothing to do with Samaritans. They weren't welcomed into their homes, and they didn't invite them into their homes either. There was a distinct separation between them, a kind of hostility between them. And Jesus confronted this, if you'll remember, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he specifically used those who were viewed as righteous figures, a priest and a Levite, who passed over the Samaritan on, or passed over the traveler on the road who had been beaten. And he uses the example of the Samaritan who expressed kindness. And you remember, he said, which one of them showed love to his neighbor? Well, of course, it was the Samaritan. And in doing that, Jesus was breaking down these walls and saying these things that you have erected to separate you from others are in fact a violation of the very heart of God and his intention within his law. We should be hospitable to one another. We should be hospitable. It's a reflection of love to our neighbor. And even though Peter was walking with Jesus when he heard that parable, and even though Peter had even after the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit understood the formation of the church, still it took him a little while for himself even to understand that. It took him a little while to fully come to understand that everybody was to be welcomed by him who names the name of Christ, even if it was a Gentile, even if it was a Gentile. And so you'll remember in Acts chapter 10... God showed Cornelius, uh, or excuse me, showed Peter a vision. The food's coming down, the sheep from heaven. He showed it to him several times, saying basically that these things are no longer unclean. Those strictures are no longer there. That everything is free to eat now. And then he sends him off to the home of a Gentile. A Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And he goes into the home. And Peter, when he walks into this home, he says in verse 25... Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too, excuse me, uh, in Acts chapter 10, he goes to them and he tells them and he says, you yourselves know in verse 28, that it is unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. Yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So Peter goes in here and says this is something new and God had to powerfully impress that on him. That it was okay for him to enter the house of Cornelius. It was okay to him to, in this case, receive hospitality from him because God had obliterated all of those distinctions. The point is, is though, it took Peter a while to learn that himself. Having walked with Jesus, having heard Jesus teach... Having seen Jesus crucified, resurrected, having received of the Spirit, he needed yet further instruction to know that the love of hospitality was to be expended to all equally who name the name of Christ. Now, why is that significant? Because though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, it was Peter who opened up the door of the gospel to the Gentiles through that experience. And here, Peter writing in his epistle is writing to predominantly a Gentile audience. And it shows that he learned that lesson well. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. He says that as one who learned that and had that powerfully impressed upon him. And so he exhorts us to the same. Now, let's then look at 1 Peter chapter 4 or 9 and see hospitality within the Christian community. So he says, again, be hospitable to one another ...without complaint. So why this idea of hospitality extends to all men in one sense... ...Peter is particularly here limiting it to our hospitality... ...that we're to show one another as Christians in the church. And that's clear by the use of the phrase one another or to one another. He's specifically talking about the kind of hospitality we are to have... ...as the church of Christ. And particularly as an expression of the reality... Of Christian love. And the life of Christ within us. So this was hugely important. Among the church. And among the people of God. He uses it only four times. as basic root. In Romans 12. As a reflection of our. Giving our lives as sacrifices to God. To do his will. He says in verse 13. That we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. Practicing. Actually that word could be translated. Pursuing. Seeking hospitality he said in first timothy chapter 3 and titus you're familiar with these that hospitality being hospi- hospitable is a requirement for an elder within a church if someone is going to be an elder they have to be someone then who is marked by a home that is open that openly receives and serves those within the community and those within the church whoever would come to their door and they would have opportunity if someone does not do that, then they are not qualified to be an elder. And hospitality was so significant that even within the ancient church, for a widow to receive assistance from the church, she had to be those who welcomed strangers. Paul said a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, has been the wife of one man, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children... And if she has has shown hospitality to strangers. If she has washed the saints feet. If she has assisted those in distress. And if she has devoted herself to every good work. So it was significant. He says if she hasn't known for hospitality among other things. She's not to receive assistance from the church. This is how important it was. So hospitality was significant. Uh, not only as an expression of Christian love, but particularly as an expression of Christian love, but but also particularly because of the environment in which they lived. So it was, what reasons were it important for them? And what does he mean here when he says to show hospitality or be hospitable to one another? What kind of things is he talking about? What kind of expressions of hospitality is he speaking of? Let me give you just a few here. Before we get to the encouragements to it. First is this. That since persecution and general distress of that time. Meant that material needs among Christians were not uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for them to be displaced. It wasn't uncommon for some of the Christians to come from the poorer class. And to need assistance. And hospitality then was the answer to that. A generous sharing of what one has uh, to benefit others. And it was then a fruit of Christian love. So he says in 1 John 3, you're familiar with this, let me just mention it to you. 1 John 3, we know love by this that he laid down his life, verse 16, for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Whoever sees his brother or sister in need and closes their home to them. Whoever sees his brother or sister in distress and closes their home to them, who does not extend what they have materially to alleviate the suffering and the need of this brother, how does the love of God abide in him? And so there he makes hospitality, essentially, which is an application of that, a fruit of our genuine experience of the grace of God. He does the same thing in James. How can you say that I have faith if you do not have works? What is the first works, first works that he points to? It is that if your brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and we could add, or shelter, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Faith without works is dead being by itself. So at the very heart of what it meant to be a Christian and a part of the Christian community, what the very heart of what it meant to be redeemed and to have the life of Christ in us, were to be those who were generous in what, was, what we had uh, to extend to others. To be hospitable to them. To be generous to them. To make sure that every need among the people of God was met. In an extreme sense of that, we see that in Acts chapter two with the church that they were sharing all things among them and they sold and nothing belonged to anyone. They were just making sure that every need was met. There's a second reason that this is important in the way that this is applicable to them and to us, and it's this it was crucial to the spread of the gospel. Traveling Christians and preachers would often rely on other Christians to open their homes and to provide lodging and food for their journey. If you were gifted with evangelism, if you were gifted or called to be some kind of missionary endeavor in the early church. You launched out into the world. You went to wherever God had sent you. And along your way, your travel plans were as essentially to enter into a city and to stay with believers there. And the believers there would receive you and care for your needs as you traveled on your way. Let me give just a few examples of that. Some comments about it. Once he says this in Third John. In third John, he says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Uh, Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. In other words, those who are coming to you, you did not previously know, but they're coming in the name of Christ. And they have testified to your love before the church that you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. He says, your hospitality to these who are bringing the name of Christ and traveling on in the work of missionary endeavor. You're participating with the work of God you're demonstrating the love of Christ, and you are supporting the spread of the gospel through hospitality, welcoming them into your home, giving them what they need. We see this example throughout the very life of Jesus. He said he had nowhere to lay his head. Very often as he traveled throughout Judea, it was through the hospitality of others that they, he entered into their house and he stayed for the night or nights or days as long as he was in an area. We won't look up. All of those references. The same with his disciples. If you remember when he sent them out, he said, you go into such and such a city. You preach the gospel. If somebody receives you into their home, that's good. If they don't receive you into their home, then you shake the dust off your feet and you leave that city right away. Again, then it's showing itself to be a wicked city. And repeatedly, Paul relied on the hospitality of believers. I won't go through all those references. But here is the point that being hospitable, meeting the needs of others, welcoming those who came in the name of Christ, welcoming those who came as emissaries of God, emissaries of Christ, emissaries of the gospel was essential to the spread of the gospel in the ancient world. In the ancient world, even as it is today when missionaries come back to the States and they rely on what? The hospitality of Christians to receive the men and to care for them. But I want to give two cautions here two cautions on that to say then that you were to meet the needs of those who were poor and etc as an expression of generosity to say that you were to welcome in those coming in the name of the lord traveling as missionaries or bringing the gospel is not to say that it was without discernment is not to say that it was without discernment that it was an unprotected or unguarded or undiscerning acceptance if you were in Third John, you could flip over, look over to Second John and he says this. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. In other words, do not show him hospitality. Do not welcome him into your home. And do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now, I just want to do a footnote here. I've been asked in the past, like, what do you do like if a Mormon comes to your door or a Jehovah's Witness? Do you invite them in to have coffee and to talk about the gospel? Is that a violation of John's instructions here? And my answer to that would be no, that you have to be cautious. But no, John isn't talking about simply having them in your house if you're witnessing to them and you're speaking to them and you're evangelizing them. That's not what he's talking about. He's specifically talking about supporting the ministry of one traveling that has a false gospel and wrong doctrine. That you're not to bring them into your home in any way that, as he says, participates in his evil deeds. And supports them in any way. Or in that any way condones the false doctrine that they are teaching. That's what he's talking about here. You don't support them. In an ancient doctor, uh, document called the Didache, which just simply means the teaching, and it's from around most likely the first century, so the time of the apostles, even in the time that Peter was reading this. They gave some instructions on this, and that docu- uh, part of that reads this. And everyone coming in the name of the Lord, let him be received. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, having put him to the test, you will know, for you will have understanding of right and left. If, on the other hand, the one coming is passing through, help him as much as you are able. He will not remain, however, among you except for two or three days, if there should be a need. Earlier, he takes that idea of two or three days and applies it to uh, apostles. And he says this, even if he should remain three days, he is a false prophet. Now, that may seem a little legalistic, and there may be some of that in there. But the idea was is that You were to receive those who came in the name of Christ, but you were to do so discerningly. If they came with false doctrine or they came with with a suspicious character, then he was to be rejected. The idea of hospitality as well wasn't in any way meant to condone laziness or irresponsibility. So meeting the needs of those in the church, bringing them into your home and caring for them did not condone an irresponsible lifestyle. And irresponsible choices. Let me give you just one example. In Second Thessalonians, Peter says, "If anyone does." Uh He says if while we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So there were those who made the excuse and most likely in this context, the Lord is coming. There's no sense in, you know, getting a job or whatever. And was basically just mooching off other Christians, staying in this home, staying in that home, but living an undisciplined life, being irresponsible with their time, not working with their own hands hands and contributing but rather just receiving and taking. And so hospitality includes a kind of discernment with that as well. Like we give, you welcome someone in your home, but there's a point maybe where you're not helping them but you actually need to rebuke them and to cut off that help uh, for their own good. That's the instructions that he gives there. I won't read it but that's addressed as well in the Didache. So hospitality was needed one simply because of the condition of many believers uh, in that, and often because of persecution, because of support of the gospel uh, for the traveling missionaries and traveling Christians who were going from one area to the other, but also because in the early church they did not have buildings as we have now, and it was necessary to facilitate church gatherings. The lack of church buildings at that time necessitated that people who had the room open their homes to accept. Uh, believers so that they could hold services so do what we're doing here again i won't go through all of these but let me mention to you just one example of that in romans chapter 16 you'll hear at the ending in the final sort of farewell segments of the epistles at times you'll hear a statement like this great prisca and aquila my fellow workers in christ jesus this is romans 16 for whom my life risks who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. That is in their house. That's where they met. That's where they came together. That's where they worshiped. It's where they broke bread. It's where they practiced the Lord's Supper and the Lord's table. And so hospitality was essential to these Christians simply because it was the one place they could gather. It was the one place where they could worship and hear the preached word and sing and pray and baptize and practice the Lord's Supper. Now that's particularly important to Peter's readers, which is going to have a significant application to us. In 1 Peter, you'll remember that he describes those to whom he's writing as aliens and strangers, As aliens and strangers. The very opening letter. Those who are aliens and scattered throughout the ancient world. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia and so forth. Those who are scattered because of persecution. You are aliens and strangers in this world. And so these would have felt this particularly incumbent upon them. To both receive hospitality from one another and to extend hospitality to one another who are together as the people of God, aliens and strangers in this world who would invite that welcomed fellowship and joy and care that came from other believers, ministering to one another, the love of Christ. And that's, that actually is just as applicable to us. We are strangers in this world, in the world, just as those in 1 Peter received misunderstanding. They were maligned and treated harshly. They were repaid evil for doing good and suffering, even though they were suffering for righteousness sake. They were recalled to respond to the ridicule of the world with patience and giving a blessing instead, not returning evil for evil, not returning insult for insult. In the world, they were in a battlefield. In the world, many here are in a battlefield or in your homes or whatever. And to be welcomed into a Christian's home is to be given a respite. It is to be given a refuge. It is a place of refreshment. And it was for them. It was an acknowledgement that the one whom you're welcoming needs the encouragement and the care from having been battered in the world. The home and hospitality of fellow believers was then a place of rest, a place of safety, and a place of refreshment. One said this, in a hostile world, the church is to be a place of safety and well-being for its members, a place where common beliefs unite more than differences divide. It's a welcoming into the home to express unity, to express care, to express a common faith in Christ. And as I noted before, It has the idea of being generous with our lives. I don't know about you. When I was first a believer, I can remember... Now, this is uh, uh, coming and being at the church. And I can remember, you know, you're in the world all week. I mean, you're just... You're evangelizing. You're living. You're so on and so forth. And coming to church was just this haven. It was just a haven. I can remember on Sunday evenings, just not wanting to leave. I just wanted, like Psalm 84, just to sit, like be like a bird in the temple of God, where you could just be there and be near... You didn't want to go, but you were charged to go back into the world and to live for Christ. On the weekends, particularly, if you could get together with another brother or sister. Uh, And what a refreshment that was out of living in the world and whatever you were dealing with to go into the presence of another believer, to go into their home, to share a meal, to have fellowship was such a place of refreshment, was such a place of comfort, was such a rest and a refuge. And that's what our hospitality is to one another. We have and we share with other believers that we have in our home something that they share with no one else. And our opening our homes and our opening our lives is a time to minister to them and encourage them as they're facing the hostilities and the difficulties and the challenges of living for Christ uh, in this world. It's a kind of considering others is more important than ourselves. And one comment here before we get to the motivations that I'll look at fairly quickly. He says, look at, he says, be hospitable to one another, however, he adds, without complaint. Without complaint. And that's really reflecting what he already said. We're to show love to one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, he's recognizing that we're going to sin. That there's, we're going to offend one another. And love covers that. In the same way, we're to be hospitable and receive one another into our homes and into our lives without complaint. Because that is The temptation. That's a temptation. It is a bit of a contradiction, but we can know this, that we can show hospitality, invite someone into our home, but without the corresponding sincerity and care and love, with a kind of grumbling and complaining, and there miss out on the joy of obedience to Christ and the joy of fellowship with someone else. Why would we grumble? Well, hospitality can be an intrusion on our time, on our time. It takes away our time to ourselves or time with our family. It comes sometimes at an unexpected expense that you have to care for someone or provide for someone that you didn't plan for that. And it costs money. It can be inconvenient to our plans if someone shows up at your door or needs assistance when you already had your own agenda for that day or that week or that month or whatever. It may require serving someone or spending time with someone you don't really like and you don't really care for. Someone who is a bother to you. Someone who particularly pushes your buttons. It could be required that we show love and invite someone in who makes us feel uncomfortable. They're awkward to relate to. They're hard. You don't naturally connect with them. And hospitality then here without complaint says, but you invite them into your home. You invite them into your life. It's an expression of the love of Christ. One captured this well. He said this, this term, ap- grumbling and complaining, absolutely, aptly captures the quiet. I don't know why we get all these travelers, or I wish Paul would move on, whispered in a corner to a spouse when a family was on short rations or its housing was cramped due to a visitor. Peter urges the Christians to a level of love that would transcend such negative attitudes. He knows there will be sacrifice, but wants it to be made with a willing and a cheerful heart. And so it's the expression of love It is that we bring others into our home, but we give to them, but as cheerful givers. Not quietly complaining in our hearts or quietly complaining to another. And so scripture is very real and God is very real with what we are tempted with. And he addresses it here. And I'd add a note to that as well. Sometimes we can grumble and complain is because really it's an expression of, Of us living for ourselves and not for Christ, it's a failure to understand our lives under the sovereign and providential hand of God. There's a theology lesson there when we have inconvenient interruptions in our day where you have planned time to get work done or study done or whatever it is or to spend time with someone and then all of a sudden you're required for someone else to serve them and to spend time with them. We can see that either as an opportunity sovereignly brought by God Or we can see it as an inconvenient intrusion into our plans. The person in our home and in our lives is not merely a visitor, but one sovereignly placed by God to be the object of our love, our service, and our care. Again, it's a test of our theology. If God causes the grass to grow, if God feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, if God is in charge of the decision of a cast lot, he's in charge Of the unexpected interruptions of our day. And in fact. It could be if we don't receive it that way. Us failing to follow through on a good work. That God has sovereignly prepared for us. Ephesians 2.10. God works. that We do good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. It's seeing that person as someone that God has prepared beforehand. For us to do a good work. So with that said, what are some encouragements to hospitality? And I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Let me just give them to you. First, Christian hospitality then, that is opening up our homes and our lives to serve and to minister to others, is this. Christian hospitality opens up to us unique opportunities. Unique opportunities. In an interesting verse in Hebrews 13, 2, the writer says, Do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Probably thinking of Abraham and the visit of the two angels or even again of Lot in the Old Testament. But in either case, he's saying here that by having your lives and your home open, there are opportunities for even angelic visitors that you might be able to serve and not even be aware of it. But if we take that idea beyond even angelic guests, there is a larger principle there. We can think of... All of the opportunities for fellowship, the opportunities for encouragement, the opportunities for learning and comfort that we miss when we close our homes to other people when we close our lives to them, when we avoid those kind of situations rather than open ourselves up to them. We could think of the men on the road to Emmaus who invited Christ to have dinner and their eyes were opened and they realized who it was, this traveler visiting them on the road. We can think of all of the people, the homes. Would you have liked to have been a fly on the wall? For Paul, the homes where Paul stayed and the kind of encouragement and the kind of opportunity that they had to spend this time with an apostle of God, with a teacher of the word of God. All that would have been missed if their home was not opened and they complained. Unless you think everybody was just... Lovey-dovey on Paul, you remember even in Philippians, he knew that there were people who envied him, people who were hostile to him, people who were preaching the gospel to cause him harm and pain in prison. But those who didn't, those who received this apostle, opened themselves up to all kinds of opportunity uh, to learn from him and to be a part of it and to be encouraged themselves. When we close our homes and when we close our lives to other believers because of inconvenience or uncomfortability or whatever, we cut ourselves off from these kind of spiritual blessings, both that we can give and that we can receive. And so we need to see hospitality as a unique opportunity. Secondly, hospitality is not a matter of material extravagance. Some people aren't hospitable because they feel like they don't have much what do i have to give i don't have much you know i don't have much food i don't have much space i don't my home isn't decorated everything's not put into order as i'd like it to be and so therefore i just don't like having people into my home it makes me nervous it makes me embarrassed but the reality is the fruit of hospitality is the attitude It's the love and the acceptance and the fellowship that's enjoyed in a home, whether you have a lot or a little. You could be in a magnificent house that's cold and distant and unloving and leave totally empty inside. And you could be in the most humble house of circumstances where genuine love and the presence of Christ is and leave overjoyed and refreshed and full with the love of Christ. I've had those experiences. I'm sure you have too, even if you travel outside of this country this was illustrated well in this following story of a well-known preacher he said this he was preaching in a schoolhouse in the mountains of Kentucky the very poor mountains of the poor people in the mountains of Kentucky and he was invited to stay in a couple's home and he gives this account at the schoolhouse I was invited to stay with a man and his wife and when I arrived I saw there was one bed awkward Uh, the husband said you take the far side then he got in and then his wife they shared their own bed uh, he says in another account, I turned my face to the wall as they dressed and they stepped out while I dressed. That was real hospitality, he says. I've slept in palaces, but the hospitality of that one-bed home is the most memorable and the most appreciated. They had very little, but what they had they shared and they shared with graciousness. They shared with humility and they shared with love. Not having a lot is never an excuse to not open up your home and your life. Thirdly, just briefly hospitality is a means of serving christ directly our attitude of hospitality to christians is a direct reflection and of our understanding of the believers union with christ and our love for him Uh, unfortunately we won't turn there but matthew 25 i'll just note to you jesus says who when did we see you hungry when did we see you sick when did we visit you in prison whenever you did one of that to the least of these you did this unto me He told his disciples, if somebody receives you, it's they're receiving me. If they reject you, they're rejecting me. How we treat other believers is how we treat Christ. How we treat other believers is how we treat Christ. Christ abides in them. His spirit is in them. And Christ sees our hospitality to one another, our treatment of one another, as a direct reflection of our treatment of him. Fourthly, hospitality is a reflection of the gospel. In a very real sense, our hospitality and openness with our homes is a reflection of our adoption in Christ. We who were strangers, we who were aliens, we who were enemies, we who were outside of God's grace, have been brought in in Galatians 6.10 into God's household. His household. He has extended to us His hospitality. And lastly, Jesus Himself set the example even washing his disciples' feet at the table. And this really gets down to it. While some may have giftedness that lends to hospitality, some are more able by circumstances of time and opportunity. Some find it easier by natural disposition or personality. The reality is that hospitality is commanded and is the opportunity and is the exhortation for all of us. And like all of the Christian life, it really is a matter of denying ourselves, of seeing our lives not as our own, but purchased by God to be used in the service of Christ, which is then to be used in the service of others. It's an expression of genuine love that has reward here and now. And it's a part of what Peter would say is living in light of the end. In verse seven, because the end of all things is near. So our encouragement to us is that we be a hospitable people. That's actually something that's very evident uh, in this church. But we can always excel still more. And we can always grow in the depth of our understanding of what we're doing. We're not just having friends over. We're not just having people we're like. We're not just buddies getting together. But we are the body of Christ expressing and extending the love of Christ for the encouragement and the upbuilding and the fellowship and the service of one another to the glory of God. So let me pray. And we went a couple minutes over, so this will be our benediction. Our Father, we do thank you for the great grace of inviting us into your household, of making us a part of your family, of extending your love to us in the Son. And, O Christ, in your coming and purchasing us and redeeming us, bringing us into the family of God, making us into your household, a place where you dwell, a place where you minister, and how you minister so often is through your people to others. In so many ways, in meeting needs of encouragement, fellowship, praying, and serving. But here, so importantly, in hospitality, which is that generous attitude of our opening our lives and our home to other people. And to others in the church. To serve. To minister to. To love. Will you stir that up in us and make those roots grow deeper? The ones that are already there, may they go down further. For those who have a natural reticence to it, may you remove that and cause them to start taking steps of obedient faith and cause all of us to rejoice in the opportunity to serve you and to serve you by serving those you bring along our way. And in that way, may the gospel be evident in our lives that we who were outside, we who were sinners, have through Christ been brought near And through that faith, we extend ourselves to bring others near to us in fellowship and love and sincerity and in service. To that end, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, No final song, and so we're dismissed. May the Lord bless you.